awesome. Thank you, Courtney. And in case you are curious and wondering why we did a little swap, save some time with adjusting, you know. What well, is so good to see you all this morning? My name is Ian Ray. I am I serve here as our youth pastor as well as as our small group pastor here at Indy Vineyard and it is my privilege to, to be here. I've now coming up been on staff almost 3 years. Isn't that crazy? I know. It's coming up on 3 years, which is crazy. I mean, time flies. It has been it has been a blast. It has been difficult. It's been amazing. I'm just, I'm so encouraged even this morning, like the, the Lord's presence is, is so present during worship. So worship team, thank you for like ushering in. They're out and about, but metaphorically, they're back here. Thank you, worship team, for, for ushering in the presence of the Lord. And as we were worshiping that, uh, that song at the end, No Other Name, and I just was like on my knees encountering God, and I got this picture, and I had this picture, and I saw this bowling alley, all right? And very strange. I'm like, God, I am not even good at bowling. Why, why are you showing me this? And he showed me this bowling alley, and I feel like this is an encouragement for some that are here that maybe walked in and don't have a relationship with Jesus or are confused on what that relationship with Jesus might look like. And I don't know, like, you've been bowling, you've been, been, and you just keep getting gutter balls. You know what I mean? Like, you just keep, keep, like, not good. And gutter balls are frustrating, like, very defeating. Me, as a grown man, to think that I can't hit 10 pins in front of me. And I hit this, this gutter ball, and I saw the Lord, and he's saying, I'm actually putting up uh, the, the bumpers. And so the bumpers are up. I know, this is wild. I'm like, man, God, you're wild. And he, he put up the bumpers, and we're worshiping. And, and I just, I'm like, okay. And he's saying, like, in the presence of worship, I put up the bumpers so you understand that it's only about me. You're not going to get a bumper ball. You're not going to get off track. It's just about me. And me being, uh, I'll be honest, being the man I am, I'm like, all right, what does a strike look like? And I asked him, I'm like, what is a strike? And he said, a strike is when it's only about me. It's only about Jesus, There's no other name worthy of being praised in the name of Jesus. It's only about him. And my encouragement this morning, this is a message, and I'm actually talking on the concept of singleness. But if I'm honest, this is a message about Jesus. And we need to keep our focus on him, only about him and nothing else. And so let's just put distraction away. Let's put the striving away. And let's just say, Jesus, it's about you. And so I just love to pray that over us. God, we thank you for the encouragement that, that there is no other name worthy of being praised but yours. Jesus, we thank you that, that you are truly all it's about. And we're sorry when we've made it about something else. We're sorry when we made it about someone else. We're sorry when we've made it about a relationship. We're sorry when we've made it about the achievement at work. We say we're sorry and we come before you and we acknowledge Jesus. It's only about you. So let that sink into our hearts, that truth that Jesus, your name is the only name, the name above every name. And just let us continue to encounter you this morning, Jesus. We thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. So. As, as I, I mentioned, we're in this new series, and I want to just kind of acknowledge, so Terry, our wonderful, I don't know how this works, third person first, but Terry has been serving here, and, and we've been so blessed by Terry. It is Terry's last week interpreting for us, as her and Ron will be moving uh, this next week, and so we'll take some time after service to pray for her and, and send her out here in the front, but I just want you to kind of keep in mind, I've always been interested in, in seeing, like, 
What does it look like to, to sign? And I'm always very intrigued. And so I just want to honor Terry well as this is her last match. And I'm honored that I get to be the one alongside her as she serves us in this way. And so, like I said, we're in a new series called Love and Honor. And it's a series on relationships. And so what we're doing is we're walking through different relationships and we're looking at them through a biblical lens. So we're, we're trying to acknowledge like God created us to relate with one another. And we believe that the concepts of love and honor hold a significant place in these relationships. And so as we walk out these relationships, we acknowledge that, that they are meant to glorify God for the sake of the world. Like these relationships are actually point, to point people to the king. And I, I, I know you, as have I, have experienced relationships that, that embody love and honor well. Like you leave them and you just say, wow, like, man, they are so loving towards one another, towards us. They're inviting. They, they set the table of honor really beautiful. And, I mean, you feel it at a deep soul level. And that's because love and honor, they're not just external expressions. They're actually internal truths. Like love and honor, they're compasses to your life that guide you. And if you don't have them, I encourage you today, this is an invitation to step into a greater kingdom reality on understanding what does it look like for me to truly encounter love and truth in my life and let it slowly seep out into the world around me. And so often it starts small and then it compounds over time. One thing that I've learned about Jesus is that Jesus was always fully present to the person in front of him. Like when, a, when someone came to him, he wasn't just looking at the pain they were in. He looked at them and saw the person. He honored them well. He knew their name. He leaned down and said, hey, I, I love you. And that is a way that Jesus embodied honor for us. Or he, he loved sacrificially. And I, I believe that honor is the seat to which the king, like to which we sit on in the kingdom. So it's our call as kingdom people to pull up a chair for those around us when it comes to sitting them on love and honor. And so we need to define these, right? Define these concepts of love and honor for our friendships, for, for our single seasons, for, for, for marriage, for parental relationships. So this word honor, it's mentioned 147 times in the Bible. So around 150 times. So I don't know about you, but if I'm saying a word 150 times, it's probably, I'm going to take notice. Like it's a word that's in there a lot. Little random fact about me, I have these random sayings that I'll just say, and I just like abuse them. Like I just say them all the time. And people around me are like, Yo, <laughs> my sister's nodding her head. Um, and you're just like, Ian, you've said that a million times. And, and then I'll just kind of drop it. Well, the Bible's the same way, but it doesn't drop it. It keeps talking about honor. And so as a noun, honor is the value by which a price is fixed. And as a verb, it's to assign high value to, to defer to, or respect to esteem another because of who they are or what they have done. So that's honor. And Randy kind of painted that picture for us last week as he began our series, talking about loving and honor ourselves. Because we can't embody love and honor to those around us if we don't actually encounter them for ourselves first. 
Now the definition of love. It comes from the primary Greek word used for love from God to us is meant to be given to others through us, and it's this word agape. The word love is very strange because in the same sentence, I can say, wow, I love my fiance, and the next sentence I can say, and I love a good chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A. I'm sorry, but they're a little different, but I still said the same word. So it's important that we, we understand, okay, there's actually a depth when it comes to this idea of agape love. And this is what it means. It means to prefer or wish well to, regard to the welfare of. So we have this command to love or, or to will the good of another, and we have a command to honor, to assign a high value to, respecting with our words and actions. And in this series, we're kind of unpacking what that looks like. And so today, the topic is singleness. Now, uh, singleness is an uncomfortable topic because one, half, like a lot of the room just said, well, I ain't single, so I'm out. Like, I can think about what I'm cooking for lunch today, I'm gone, and if you just did that, I encourage you, press in. I believe there's, there's wisdom in here for us. But one thing that I found is that I've been having conversations with singles this, this past week is that there are many different thoughts, there are many different opinions, there's many different needs when it comes to the idea of singleness. And, and the Bible talks about it, so we're going to uncover some scripture and discover what does scripture say, say about the topic of singleness. But I want to acknowledge that this message is not going to answer every question we have about singleness. That's not, that's not my, my heart. That's not my purpose. I believe that the purpose of this message is just to spark honest conversation in the body of Christ. It's to start conversations between those who, who are maybe married or in a relationship and those who are single. I want us to be honest with one another in conversation. The other thing that I want us to do is to be present to what is in front of us. So it's being honest and it's being present. And that's what we're going to kind of press into today. And I have to be fully honest and fully candid. There's a book that has highly influenced uh, this message. And there's many books on the topic of singleness. But I encourage you to get it out. It's like a freebie. It's called The Seven Myths About Singleness by Sam Albury. The Seven Myths About Singleness by Sam Albury. And what he does is he just kind of un unpacks seven myths that, that the world believes or the church communicates when it comes to singleness. And I encourage this book, not just for singles, but also for those who are married. Because he gives a charge to those who are married. He gives a charge to the couples on how do we engage with the world as the body. And I'm going to do the same thing. I'm not just talking to singles. I'm going to be talking to you as, as married couples on how you engage with singles. And singles, how you engage with couples. Because this is the body, right? It's important that, that we recognize that this, this topic is for us. You know, again, you might say that's not my you know, relationship status. Like, I am not single. But if we're the body of Christ, we're, we're the ears, we're the eyes, we're the hands, we're the feet. The thing is, the health of the other parts of the body is crucial for the other parts, in other words, like even the like you who are married, I'm in this kind of strange season right now where biblically I'm single, which we'll talk about what biblical singleness is. But technically, I'll be honest, I'm in a relationship, I'm engaged, which is amazing, it's awesome. Thank you. Yes, she's wonderful. And she has some awesome quotes in here, which I'll give her full credit to. Um, so it, it, it's this tension, but we have to recognize for us as singles or biblical singles, the health of the marriages in our church, it matters. 
It matters that you are healthily married and having healthy families. Just as to singles, it matters that we are healthy to those who are married. And so if we're the body, this is a topic that, that is for both. And we need to learn and understand what does it look like for us to, to walk these out. And so as I begin, I want to first speak to the singles. These are those who, who, who are unmarried or, 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 or have been through a, a divorce or, or maybe are widowed. Or There's so many different seasons of singleness. You know, there could be, like me, a, a low 20 single or, you know, I'm in my 20s. There could be uh, others who are singles in many different stages of life. But regardless, I want to speak to you as a single. And this is just a simple pastoral I am sorry. Now, I cannot speak on behalf of the church, but I am sorry that the church has falsely communicated to you that you are not whole until you're married. And I'm sorry that the church has, has sometimes accidentally communicated that for you to be whole, you need this. I'm sorry to you for the parent who has continued to ask you every time that you're with them saying, so when are you getting married? And you assume the way for me to have approval on the side of my parents is when I finally get married. And I'm sorry. And again, I can't speak on behalf of the church, but I can simply recognize that there are hurts that have happened to single people because of just false realities that have been communicated to you. And I simply want to say, I'm sorry. And so when it comes to, to moving, moving from that, you are whole, you are worthy of being loved, and so as we, we move on, it's important that we now define biblical singleness. So, so what is biblical singleness? So to be single, according to the Bible, it's both being unmarried. So first off, unmarried, which we can kind of like figure, you know, taxes, right? You know, you're checking single on the taxes. But the second thing that defines biblical singleness is also being committed to sexual abstinence. It's being committed to sexual abstinence, which we see in 1 Corinthians 7, 2. We see in Hebrews 13, 4. We see in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 4. We see it all throughout Scripture that a, pro, like a, a part of being biblically single is actually being committed to celibacy. The Bible's clear that, that done outside of the confines of marriage, that that is actually sin. And we, we might hear that or we might grow up up hearing that. But here's the thing. Scripture is even, it goes a step further and actually says flee from sexual immorality. So we think, okay, you know, sexual intercourse. And again, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going there, but that, this is the Bible. This is what it says. We say, it says flee from sexual immorality, which is actually a much greater call than just not having sex. It's saying like Jesus actually came and he said, hey, it doesn't just matter your actions. Now it matters what you think about. Now it matters how you're engaging with the world around you. And that's a high challenge. Following Jesus is truly, it's a, it's a high call. It's a, it's, a, it's a high regard to which we get to do. So biblical singleness is being unmarried and it's being committed to sexual abstinence. So from a biblical standpoint, I am single. To my taxes, I am single. Here soon, I will not be. So it's in this weird thing to like talk on singleness. And this could be the last time, like realistically, that I can talk on the topic of singleness before I'm married. And so I'm excited. It's funny. I'm in premarital and I'm learning about how to be married and um, like, what does it look like? And I have many years and a lifetime ahead of me to get it figured out, which I hear you can. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I know you can't. 
And so I'm in this, this, this kind of strange, strange tension, but, but I'm, I'm excited to be able to speak from a place of biblical singleness. So now here, that's what the Bible says. Now what does the world say about it? So the world says this idea of singleness is this idea of being unmarried. So they would say, all right, to be single in the world is to be unmarried, but they would not necessarily maintain this idea of being sexually abstinent. It's like, okay, I'm single. And let's be honest, being single in the world, the world says this is great because I can have like the non-commitment, like peace, but I can also have like kind of the, the good, the, the, this beautiful gift that God has given, supposed to be used in the context of marriage. And I get to experience the best of both worlds. That's, that's how the world views it. And singleness for young adults, it has grown over time to be longer than any other season in the world. Uh, from the history of time, marriage has always been oftentimes happening at a younger age. But now, in the present day, in the world, younger adults, they usually get married. For men, the average age is 29. And for women, it's 27. And so I'm like diving into this. I'm like, why is this? You know, it's like it's gotten significantly longer. And the reason is, I believe, I believe it's an implication to a growing resistance in the world to the idea of marriage but also even a fear to committing with the context of marriage. Because once you're in, you're, you're in. And we know the, the divorce rates, which hover right around 50%. We know a lot of the world does not think once you're in, you're in for good. But the scripture, like, it, it, it's important that we recognize that, that singleness has, has shifted over the course of time. The Western culture, it prescribes celibacy as a bad thing. It says that it's old-fashioned. And so to be single in a secular world is, from, from a Christian worldview, it, it's absurd. To be a Christian single saying, hey, I'm going to not be married and I'm going to be sexually abstinent until I'm married. We just, the world sees that and they say that is, that is absurd. It doesn't make any sense. But these convictions, we get formed through biblical truth and what scripture tells, tells us. And this is not, not I'm not going to unpack that completely, but there are discussions with in that, that, that you can uncover in community. And if anything I said, you go, man, I just want to like, I, I want to talk more about that. I encourage you, go to your community. And if you don't have one, we'll encourage you to get plugged into and just start unpacking this with them. So this is the world's reality, but Christian, in, in fact, Christianity, it brings in a new reality. Like in the New Testament, you're actually celebrated as being single. But in the Roman culture during Bible times, the, the, the culture that, that is happening in the New Testament, you essentially had nothing if you weren't married. Like to be married was to have value. And Christianity said, no, no, not only do we welcome you in, but we actually celebrate you. And that was, that was this crazy new reality. And, and you may have heard this, but let's be honest, the, the perfect representation of singleness is Jesus. Like Jesus himself, he was he was single. In Scripture, in, in Matthew 2, 17, it says, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. So we recognize that Jesus was fully human, right? He was fully man. You might have heard it, fully God, fully man. Jesus came in the flesh, full. He was complete. He lived a complete life, as a man, as, as flesh, he was both fully God and fully man. And I, I bet you probably wouldn't go up to Jesus and say, hey, you, uh, you're not living a full life. 
Like your life isn't complete. Just wait till you get married. I'm imagining, like, imagine you're sitting at coffee with Jesus and you're kind of leaning in. You're like, man, how's life going? He's like, you know, it's pretty crazy. The disciples, like, they're, they're killing it. Sometimes Peter says some things, but man, they're just doing pretty well. And then you say, all right, well, how about that marriage thing? Like, are you, do you want to, like, you just wait. Like, you're going to love it. It's going to be amazing. Like, you're really going to experience life when you're married. And I just imagine Jesus just sitting there, just kind of slow looking at you and say, actually, my life is full. My life is abundant. In 1 John 4, John talks about that if we don't recognize that Jesus came in the flesh, that's actually the spirit of the Antichrist. If we don't recognize that Jesus came in the flesh, that's the spirit of the Antichrist. And I know what you're thinking, Ian, doesn't it, that's like old church, like heresy stuff. Like, yeah, we believe, Jesus, he was a man, sure. But if we believe, and this is a belief that the church so often has held accidentally, but still held if we believe that life without sexual or even romantic fulfillment is not really an authentic way to live, we're believing deep down, we might not have said it, but we believe deep down that Jesus did not fully come in the flesh. We're saying that Jesus was not a full human life. We're saying, you know, to say that is, is to dehumanize Christ. Deny, deny that he came fully and that his humanity was a real one. And again, you might not have articulated that, but that's so often what that belief is communicating because Jesus is the perfect example of singleness. He experienced every temptation that we did, every single one, and yet he lived a full life. Like many of our, uh, our common assumptions when it comes to singleness, we look at it through the view of, of deficiency, we see it as the absence of a good thing, marriage. We see it as the absence of romantic and sexual fulfillment marriage seems to represent. In fact, here's an interesting observation. Single people are unmarried, but we don't say that married people are unsingle. What? It's like you drive in a parkway and park in a driveway. Think about that one. Like It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. We communicate even in our language. Language builds culture, right? It affects culture. And even accidentally, we're going to, like culture is created either on accident or on purpose, but regardless, it's created. And the church culture has accidentally communicated even this, like, oh, so you're unmarried with unsingleness. We're appearing that marriage is, is deficient. In fact, one thing I've found in conversations is that marriage, it's often like uh, a high diving board where you find out someone's married and then like so many pools of discussion open up. You're like, oh man, you have kids. Like how long you've been married for? Uh, what was the wedding like? Were you honeymoon? Or, or like what, what, what is happening in your marriages? And you just see people like perk up. They get excited, right? When you find out someone's married. But a second you, oh, you married? And like, well, no, I'm actually single. It, it, it seems more like a low diving board that you might find at a community pool, right? Like you get off and you're not super safe on it. And then you feel like, I actually kind of feel like I need to back up. I don't know where to go from here. It's kind of awkward. You back up. And that's what I found between singleness and, and marriage. And here's what's wild. The New Testament, it holds a different perspective. It holds a different perspective. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. specifically verses 7 through 8 
just to start. So a little context, uh, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. Now the church of Corinth, they're like, they're, they're pretty messed up. Like they're just doing a lot of things that you're like, I really don't think you should be doing that. Uh, read, uh, just read 1 Corinthians and you'll see like, wow, Paul is like really like hounding them. And, and so Paul is writing and, and in this chapter, he's talking about married life. And so verse seven through eight, this is what it says. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So he's saying each has their own gift. Some have the, marriage of, uh, some have the gift of marriage, some have the gift of celibacy, and each have their own gifts. But he's saying, like, he's, he's encouraging. He's like, hey, you know, it's good for you to stay unmarried like me. And you might hear that and you think, you know, you're in the confines of marriage and, and you think, like, man, marriage is a gift. And it is. Please, please don't hear this message is not, not going against marriage at all. I'm preparing for it myself and I'm so excited. But this message is to communicate truly what, what is the gift before us in, in singleness, if we kind of jump forward, 1 Corinthians 7, 27 through 28. Actually, we'll start at verse 26. It says, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a, lo- do not look for a wife But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin married, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. So Paul is is looking and he's he's trying to spare you of of, of trouble. Again, marriage is a gift. It is is wonderful, but it comes with it trouble. I'm not even married yet. And in premarital, we're talking about the troubles that we're, we're experiencing. And, and Paul is just saying, now, now listen, I, I, as a single, it's not that you're not going to experience trouble. Your trouble is, is going to be, be, be different. In fact, some of you might think who are single are like, man, marriage trouble, that's the kind of trouble I want to get in, like having someone else, like that is, that sounds like a gift. That's amazing. Talk to your married friends. Like, again, he's not speaking against marriage, but... He is saying, like, I'm just trying to spare you. There are things that come with marriage that you simply don't have or have to worry about when you're single. There are certain ideas you don't have to, if you're a single guy, you don't have to worry about letting your your clothes kind of overflow. You know what I mean? But when you're married, that might become a pretty big thing. Or maybe your toothbrush with the, you know, you you just leave the toothpaste on the toothbrush. And if you're single, you can make your toothbrush however you want to make your toothbrush. If you're married, that might be a thing, right? Or even like picking a show. You sit in front, you watch Netflix, you only got to pick what you want to watch. But all of a sudden, there's someone else and there's a trouble and you're like, well, I don't want to watch Grey's Anatomy again, you know? Like there are troubles, obviously more significant troubles than that, but I think you hear me. And then we keep, keep going on in, in verse 29. This is Paul. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Whoa. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. 
Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Paul is saying that time is short. Like we've got a lot going on. And, and this past year, this past couple years with COVID and political unrest and, and police brutality and, and the church going against one another. And all of a sudden there's this political divide that, that has existed but has never been stronger. And we're just seeing all these things. We're like, man, the world, it is, it's a goner. Like it is, it is going down. Now here's the thing. We have hope and we have, Christ, we have hope in Christ, in Christ alone. But we might experience that and we might see this. We're like, you're right. Like the, the time is passing. Time is short. And what Paul is saying is he's just, he, he, he's unpacking and, and saying, listen, we need to commit ourselves to this. He even says to the married couples, those, like pretend, don't pretend like you're not married, but, but live as if you're single. Like devote yourself to Jesus. And then we keep going in verse 32 through 34. And he says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the world. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be voted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this, listen to this, this, this is the message. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided devotion to the Lord. What Paul is saying is, I want you to be free from concerns. What if, I'm speaking to the married couples, what if you were only concerned about the Lord's affairs? What if you, you walked out in your day and you said, all right, Lord, what are you doing? What are you up to? And I look around and I see people who are married that, that do that. But we recognize that, that in marriage, it, it becomes more difficult. We have other concerns, other, other things to think about and worry about. But as a single, there's this gift on we get to be devoted to the Lord in an undivided fashion. It's only about Jesus. It's only about him. Here's what's wild to me is, is Paul is actually giving the same charge to us all. He's saying that we need to be undividedly devoted to Jesus. But he's saying if you're married, you're going to have other things going on that, that it's going to, to make it more difficult. But as a single, you get to be devoted like, like, here's the thing, when, like, with Rachel, my fiance, I desire to, to give her gifts, like, I want to, to, to love on her. When conflict arises, I want to work on the conflict. I want to sit down what I'm doing and say, all right, let's, let's flesh this out. And I have to recognize, I'm not even in marriage yet, but my interests are divided. Like, I'm thinking about her, and that's a good thing. That's a holy thing. Like our aim is to be devoted to the Lord because the gift of singleness is manifest as undivided devotion to the Lord. The gift of manifest, it happens and it's undivided devotion to the Lord. And here's what I want to say to married couples. Don't, don't just settle and say, man, singles really need to hear this. No, you also are to be devoted to the Lord. But as a married couple, you're, you're just, you're juggling more things. You're juggling kids. You're, you're, you have other things going on. You're still devoted to the Lord, but differently. 
one thing Paul isn't saying, he's not saying that singleness is spiritual and marriage is unspiritual. The difference is in complexity and simplicity. The, the aim is devotion to Jesus. Because an idol, an idol can be a good thing just becoming an ultimate thing. Like if we are to keep the main thing the main thing, it's being devoted to Jesus. Not concerned only about the affairs of the family, but, but Jesus. Like our earthly family, it's a beautiful thing. Hear that. Our earthly family, it is meant to be a beautiful thing, but it was never meant to be the main thing. The main thing was supposed to be Jesus, like giving ourselves to him. And here's what's wild is Paul is assuming that us as, as singles, that, that we will be concerned about the things of the Lord. And that's the battle. It's, it's easy to channel our flexibility and energies into just pleasing ourselves rather than God. The temptation is to become self-centered. Like I can easily become concerned about the things of me. But the gift means that we're, we're just concerned about the things of Christ. The world champions the single life because of all you can do for yourself. But the Bible champions the single life because of all you can do for others. Like in the Old Testament, you were, the, the way you knew you were blessed was children, family, it was land. In the New Testament, it, it's spiritual children. Like it's, it's making disciples. That's our call, to go and make disciples. So maybe part of your singleness is actually to disciple those around you. In fact, in his book, God, Marriage, and Family, uh, author Andreas Kostenberger makes this like really interesting observation. He see, sees that scripture actually unfolds, if anything, in a pro-singleness direction. So singleness and creation, in the beginning, it's non-existent. We know Adam and Eve. He says that it was, it was not good for man to be alone in the creation story in Genesis 1. Then singleness in the Old Testament, it's uncommon. It's generally undesirable. Most people are married in, in the Old Testament. And all of a sudden, what, what we just read, singleness in the New Testament, it's actually advantageous for kingdom ministry. And then singleness in the final state, it's universal. Now, you may have heard, this is a concept I've been kind of chewing on. You may have heard in, uh, that, that there's no marriage in heaven. Like you may have heard that, and, and for those who are married, like, no. I, but, but here's the thing. It's not that there's no marriage in heaven. It's that there's one marriage in heaven. It's between Christ and his bride. It's in Revelation. There's one marriage in heaven, and it's between Christ and his bride. And we'll participate in a wedding marriage far more beautiful than earthy, any earthly relationship that we can have. And so oftentimes we're putting our, our value in our status and in Facebook status or, uh, you know, let's be honest, you know, you know it's official when it's Facebook official, right? You know what I mean? Like I was talking with a student and they were like, oh my gosh, your relationship with Rachel is, it's on Facebook. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to marry her. Like I'm pretty excited about it. And yeah, it's on Facebook. But somehow we started placing the definition of our significance into a change of status, in fact, I believe one of the main reasons that so many humans, single and married, are discontent in their life is that they're looking for a change in status to define their significance rather than give attention to their God-given purpose. Ephesians 2.10, it says that you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do his good works. 
And if that's the case, you are a masterpiece, and your masterpiece it has nothing to do with your status. As no, and I'm not just talking about relationship status. I'm also talking about your status at work. I'm talking about your desire to, to, to be a, a mother or father or grandparent. Those are all beautiful things. But here's the thing. Your significance is in the fact that you were made by a creator. Like that is where your significance comes from. Like you will always fall short if you live your life defining your value in the sight of others. Because you are not what you do, you are not what you have, and you are not what other people say about you. So the Henry, Henry Nouwen, a, 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 a priest, he, he said that. You are not what you do, you are not what you have, you are not what other people say about you. Like when you put a person in the place that God is meant to be, or even this idea of a person, you're going to be dissatisfied. And then what will happen is when you get that person, you're going to need to put the idea of a different person in that place because they're not going to be enough. Like if you can learn in singleness that undivided attention is on Jesus, that will be carried into a married season or it will be continued on into a single season. Like one thing that, that Rachel and I talk about often is how we pursue Jesus with, with undivided attention in our single season. Now, I'm not saying that means I follow Jesus perfectly, but I, I wanted to give him my all. And here's what's beautiful is I get to, we get to sow the fruit of that into our marriage. But we also could have sowed the fruit of that if we had continued to be single. And so I want to give some just real practical charges as we close. And it's this. Uh, it, I'm going to speak to the singles and then I'm going to speak to the couples and then we'll, we'll invite the ministry team up. First, this is to singles. This is how, uh, how to love others. First is, is just be honest. So this is to singles. Be honest. We need to recognize no one's a mind reader. I remember when I was single and I was so frustrated with my loneliness. You know, those moments on the kitchen floor where, where you know, roommates out of town, family's all gone, and I had no one. And I just encourage you, be honest that you're struggling. You know, find a friend or a couple or a community or a small group. Be honest. Communicate what you're experiencing and feeling. In fact, if you're experiencing this right now, the stinge of loneliness, I believe that this is for you. Just because you're lonely doesn't mean you have to be alone. Just because you're lonely does not mean that you have to be alone. Be honest. Take ownership of your singleness. It will be lonely. We need to begin being honest. Conversation is key. Talk about it. I shared last time uh, that I spoke that uh, I shared that I was feeling lonely and then I was met with, yeah, me too. And here's the thing. I was met with me too by both singles and couples. They said, yeah, I'm lonely too. Talk about it. Be honest. Number two way to, to love others as singles is, is build a spiritual family. This is my wonderful fiance's wise words last night. She says, the gift of God's family is that you don't need a spouse to make one. Isn't that good? The gift of God's family is that you don't need a spouse to make one. Paul had a spiritual family. He had Timothy, who he discipled and was like a son. He had mentors and companions that he traveled with. He was able to love others in the kingdom and to pour out and get poured into. So if you don't have a spiritual father or mother, find one. And then start pouring out as well. Find someone who knows like one less Bible verse than you. And just share the one you just learned. You know, like, it's not hard. Start pouring out. Build a spiritual family. In fact, Rachel, I know I'm talking about her son, but she's awesome. Uh, Rachel, she'll, she'll say that meeting me was a gift. Uh, thank you. She said that. Um, 
<laughs> not my words. <laughs> but she continues to testify that being mentored by Nancy changed her life forever. And that actually began in her season of singleness. In fact, if I'm honest, I just topped on like favorite people list recently. And it's just because I put a ring on it. <laughs> like <laughs> I just stepped into that. All right, singles. Now, now here's how to honor others. Be present. This quote from Elizabeth Elliot, I love, and I think it embodies this idea of being present super beautifully. If you are married, then accept that. Accept the husband that God has given you. If you are single, accept your singleness and take it as if today was the last day of your life. Don't be looking constantly to the future. I remember what Jim wrote to me in one of his letters. He was a missionary. He said, let not our longing slay the appetite of our living. And I think there's a lot of singles who are allowing their longing to slay the appetite of their living. They're not throwing their heart and soul into the will of God for today because they're simply dying inside for something that God has not given them. We must learn to live in the now. Be present. One thing that Randy has mentioned uh, in, in one of his sermons is that God spoke to him is that you can't leave until you can stay. I found this to be true in my own life. You can't leave until you can stay. But I think this applies for singleness as well. Now, I want you to hear, it doesn't mean that you're, you're, you're just sitting down and saying, man, I never want to be married. It's not that, that desire is not a bad desire, but it's rather, it's setting it down saying, I can stay with you, Jesus. Like, I can be with you, Jesus. You can still desire to be married. That's an okay thing. It just, beca- it can't become the main thing. Be honest with Jesus. He can bear your honesty. Now, couples, here's, here's how you can love your single friends. Couples, here's how you can love your single friends. Pursue them. This is to couples. This is to married couples. Dating, engage. Pursue your single friends. I reached out to many different singles, and their consensus was that everyone was looking for connection. My encouragement to you is pursue. Like God places the lonely in families. Pursue them. Pursue relationship with singles. Reach out to them. Invite them. Show them love and care. True pursuit is oftentimes received as love to your single friend. So maybe your challenge to leave is just text one single friend as you go out. Just invite them over. Just text them. A 10-minute phone call. Pursue them. And second, be honest. Just be honest. It's another way that you can love your single friends. Be honest. Sound familiar? Right? Just be honest. Andrea Trevina says, ask an honest married Christian and they'll tell you that marriage cannot bear the weight of having all our hopes, dreams, and longings placed upon it. Like, Don't pretend that marriage is perfect and even more importantly, don't pretend that yours is perfect. Invite your single friends into conversation because true community is not defined by what your status is. It's not defined by where your struggle is. Like even marriage, it, it does not bring complete fulfillment. There's still a hole. There's an ache in our hearts that only God can fill. Again, it's a good thing, but it's not the greatest thing. And if you have the expectation that your spouse will fulfill the desire that only God is meant to fill, you will come out disappointed. You will be discouraged. Like Danny Silk, he talks about having a God slot, having a spouse slot, a children's slot, and a friend slot, a friend slot. And if your spouse is in the God slot, reevaluate your priorities. Like, 
God should be in the slot. No one else should be there at the center of your life. There is no one at the center. Because if someone else is at the center, what, for instance, if a spouse is where God is meant to be, what's going to happen when the spouse doesn't satisfy anymore? What happens when all of a sudden you have a kid and all of a sudden the kid goes in the God spot? Then what happens when the kids move out? Many people, I was reading a book from Tim Keller, and he said many marriages end after kids go off because parents have entered into covenant with their children before they've entered into covenant with their spouse. God is at the center. Then your spouse. Then your children. Sam Albury has this quote, if at some point you find your marriage is a disappointment to you, this is, I'm like prepping for marriage and this is hard to hear. If at some point you find your marriage is a disappointment to you, please bear in mind that's because it's supposed to be. It's not meant to fulfill you, but to point you to the thing that does. Or in other words, point you to the one who does. And if you feel, if you're married and you just felt a tinge when I encourage you to be honest with your single friends, it's possible that you're believing the lie that to be single is to be less than. It's possible you're thinking that, uh, man, I can't share with them. It's not that they're less than or more than. It's simply that they're other than. And being honest with others breeds trust, and trust is foundational in the kingdom of God. Another practical, I'm just going to fly through it for the sake of time. Another practical is give them a house key. Another way to love your singles is give them a house key. I know it's strange, but one of the greatest acts of love that you can you can give is, is actually giving a house key. I remember in my single season when I received a house key from, uh, from a married couple friend, and they said, hey, whenever. Now, there's boundaries. I'm going to text them when I come over. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> there's boundaries. But I felt loved, and I felt like I was a part of their family. You can, you can put up pictures with them. Don't just have pictures of your family on your mantle. Have pictures with your family, the family of God, who is uh, those around you. And just put a picture up. Give them a house key. Give them a picture. Here's how to honor singles to couples. Seek advice from them. You know, if, if you think it's laughable to give advice from others in different seasons, you're actually assuming that human experience matters more than divine wisdom. It doesn't occur to many that the very passages they'd prefer to hear a married person talk about was actually written by Paul, who was single. Like you're getting advice from someone who is single. That was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but here's the thing. We have the Holy Spirit in us as well, and thus we get to share divine wisdom with discernment in the context of community. Begin in honesty. You can seek advice in honesty as well. And finally is to serve them. A way that you can honor singles, couples, is to serve them, care for them, encourage them as if they're your own family. Help relieve pressures that are, are going on. Like serve them, invite them in. In Psalm 68, 8, it says, you know, what I read this earlier, it says that God sets the lonely in families. And we think that's great until we realize that you are the family that God places the lonely in. Like you are the family. We are the mothers and fathers, the sisters and brothers. The people of Jesus Christ are to be a family. So as I asked many people, there was a variety of things. And I, here's my heart. I just want to start conversation. So I invite the ministry team forward. And, and I just want to, want to open ministry time with this. Maybe some people here are believing the lie that, that, that you're not, not good enough. Maybe we're just believing that, the lie that you're not good enough. I want us to ask this question, married or single, 
where do you need to be honest? So just like, where do you need to be honest? And how does the Lord want you to be present? Like, what, how do you be present before you, and where do you need to be honest? And so if you'll just stand with me. God, we just, we thank you that love and honor are foundational in your kingdom. And so we just ask for these simple challenges on what it looks like to love and honor one another, whether singles or or couples. And I just ask that we would take a practical first step. Maybe it's texting someone or or maybe it's just, it's serving them, it's giving a house key. I, I don't know, but Lord, would you just move us and specifically move us into honesty before you and then honesty before our community. God, just show us where you want us to be honest. Show us where you want us to be present. And I feel the Lord actually even inviting some people are actually walking in sexual brokenness. That when you heard what I was describing, this biblical singleness, you're like, man, I, I kind of sound a little more like the world than what scripture says singleness should look like. And I just invite you, I believe today could be the day that you actually walk in freedom from your sexual brokenness. And so I encourage you to ask the Lord where you need to truly be honest where you need to be present. So we'll just sit even for for a couple seconds before we end. Just speak, God. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, God, that we can be honest before you. gift of singleness. We thank you for the gift of community. Community is not defined by the status or relationship status, but it's defined of being rooted and devoted to you. I encourage you to press into community, get plugged into a small group, find other people. If you're feeling alone, like come, come up and talk and we want to connect you with others. Married, single, doesn't matter. You do not have to be alone. So I just didn't invite you forward and I'll release those but I, if the Lord is stirring something or something I said and you need prayer come, come forward turn to your neighbor get prayer you don't need to feel alone you can be honest before him you can step into freedom from sexual brokenness do not leave without getting prayer but I do do release you as it is Terry's last week, we're gonna step forward and if anyone feels led just to come and pray for her after service, well, I invite you to, to do that. But otherwise you are dismissed or you have a wonderful week. God bless you. You just encounter his goodness and his love. Feel honored and loved by those around you as you go out. God bless.